elements that we want to be thinking about as we think about what it means to be the church. We're doing this in part because we have just chartered, or we will soon charter. Actually, I found out the official date will be when the Administrative Commission comes from Presbytery and ordains our elders. So um, that will be the official date. But essentially, it's been approved. You all voted for elders. We are a church. And so um, this has been a long journey for us getting to this point. And um, it certainly doesn't change much for us in terms of how we operate. But I do want to take time to simply reflect and always have time to reflect back and say, are we being faithful to what God has called us to one of the things I love about being part of the Reformed Church, as Presbyterians are part of this Reformed heritage, is that there is a creed that we say, which is the church reformed and always being reformed according to the Word of God. Don't forget that last part. We often stop before that. But the church being reformed and always being reformed according to the Word of God. So we want to keep going back to these very, very basic elements of what it means to be the church. And ask ourselves, is this who we are? And if not, how do we become more faithful in being that kind of church? So we've already looked at Jesus or the gospel, the good news that is, uh, came in Jesus. We have looked at um, family or community last week and how we're called to be more than just connected to those who are part of us with biology. Um, today, we are going to be looking at what it means to be a missional church and what mission means. I, I want to let you know that as part of this, I'm going to be talking about some rhythms that we look at as part of our lives. And so if you're someone who likes to have these kind of things written down, I was going to print them out for you. I didn't. So you may want to think about getting something uh, to write those down. If you're like me and you don't do that, which I don't, quite honestly, don't worry about it. But I just wanted to forewarn you that I'm going to rush through these so you may miss a few. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I've taken many mission teams to different parts of the world. Uh, took a number of them from Mountain View when I was a youth leader down to Mazatlan, which was interesting. Just the backstory on that was we didn't pick Mazatlan originally. We were actually going to Culiacan which is the capital of the state of Sinaloa, and it's not a tourist spot at all. In fact, we rarely saw any other um, gringos, if I can say that. I think I can say I am one. Um, we rather, we re- almost never saw them when we were in Culiacan. What happened is the YWAM base, Youth with a Mission base, closed there, and a new one opened up in Mazatlan. And so I was reluctant to go because it's a little hard to raise money to tell people I'm taking a bunch of youth to Mazatlan, right? They think, you know, fun and party. We were staying in the old town part of Mazatlan, and it was a beautiful spot, but we were going out and building houses out in these very, very poor communities um, around Mazatlan. And one of the things that we did that I loved doing when we got there was this thing called the prayer race. So if any of you have seen the TV show, The the, uh, Amazing Race, it was based on that idea, so it was great. It was great for youth, but I loved it for adults too. Because what we would do is we would say, uh, we're going to send you out in teams, and you have to go to all these different areas in this um, old neighborhood, old downtown part of Mazatlan, and find these seven mountains of culture. I'm going to tell you what those are in a minute. And then when you find them, you're going to learn about them. So you're learning about the culture. You're going to ask questions. You're going to listen. You're going to learn. And then we're going to come back, and we're going to pray for these. And we're going to see how many you can get. There's a time limit. 
So it was a lot of fun. It, it required us to ask questions, to be humble, to listen, to get directions, to do all those things. And um, the seven mountains of culture, this, these are something that's been around for a while. And the idea is that in these seven areas, um, these are the important cultural connections in any community, in any place in the world, where we need to be thinking about what the gospel looks like in light of how these are in the culture. So I find them very interesting to think about in terms of our context. The first one is arts or entertainment. So in that category, for us, you could think about, um, yes, like a museum or something like that, but more specifically, probably like the movie theater and popular music, the things that people are watching and listening to, the things that people are reading. You know, it was very interesting. I started youth ministries, tell you how old I am, back when Harry Potter was a thing. And this was a big issue for a while because there was a whole bunch of Christians who felt like um, you should not be reading anything about witches and wizards, right? And then there was me who was living in this with these kids who were reading it, and I'm thinking, well, I've got to read it and talk about it. This is an intersection point, right? Good or bad. This is where people are. So arts and entertainment is one. Business is the other. We have some missionaries and um, connections with people in Senegal in West Africa who are doing business as mission. So there's small businessmen and women who are going into countries where the gospel, it's not open to the gospel, and they're doing business. And by doing business, it's opening up all kinds of doors to share the gospel in different ways and to really transform society by giving people employment and jobs and things like that. Fair trade coffee would be a great example. Kameno Island Coffee Roasters. I, from what I hear, is a good example of this, where you have Christian businessmen and women who are going into the places where they're buying a coffee and building relationships and making sure people are getting a living wage. So there's a little free advertisement for them. Um, education, of course, our educational institutions, schools, family. And when I say family, obviously we're talking about how those family systems look. In our culture, families have changed a lot. It is not very often that you anymore that you find the traditional nuclear families, mom, dad, couple kids, and dog and cat, right? More that you know the, the largest percentage demographically and age group of people living at home with their parents are people in their 20s right now. Um, that's really changed in, the, in just the time I've been alive. So, but just think about this too. I mean, the reality is that there's a lot of families, especially as you move more into the urban areas, where people can't afford to live in a single family home. So you've got to share a house, maybe with friends, maybe with relatives, multiple families living together. You see this especially with our immigrant communities here in this country, or families who are in very non-traditional models. Okay, so whether we agree or disagree with it, there are families with same-sex couples raising kids. This is part of our culture. There's a, and by the way, when we did our study for Camino Island and Stanwood, when, before we came, we found that the single largest, the single fastest growing demographic in our community for families is single parent homes. And most of those are single moms. And that was one of our wake up calls because we thought how many single moms who are working one or two jobs are gonna drag their kids to a church service on Sunday morning, right? So if we're serious about being the, doing the gospel in those um, relationships, we've got to get beyond a model of simply putting all of our energy and time into a Sunday morning service. Um, family government, of course, is a big one. 
Um, and religion. <clears throat> and media. And when I say media, this is, this is beyond just the arts and entertainment. This is like radio, TV, um, social media, you know, things that are happening online. So in all of these areas, we would go, when we were in Mazatlan, we would go around and we would look at them and we would, since we were outsiders, we could say, this is very interesting. Here's where there's potential connections with what we know the gospel to be. And here's where there's some serious conflicts where there might need to be change to happen. I think it's a very helpful exercise to pray through and to think about for where we live, for our culture. Because oftentimes I think we think, well, our culture is more compatible with the gospel than any other. And by the way, every other culture thinks the same thing. So for those who live in, well, I'm sure there's extreme examples, but just to take an example, for those Christians who live in Europe, they look at the the United States and they see a place where um, money and capitalism has taken people away from the gospel. Now, we wouldn't normally think about that probably. So, you know, there's critiques in every culture, and this is just a way to say, where are the intersections for us? And where do things need to be changed, and how can we be a part of that? So I want to read to you 1 Corinthians 19, or 9, 19 to 22. There's a way of looking at this a little bit more. 1 Corinthians 9, 19. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to the church in Corinth. For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, so that I might share in its blessings. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Paul is, in this passage, he is, he is addressing some of the criticism that he's hearing back from some of the people in the Corinthian church. There's obviously some conflict over whether, whether he should be paid, whether he should be able to have a wife, whether he should eat food sacrificed to idols. So there's these different factions within these churches Primarily, at least at first, it was a lot of tension between those who were Jewish and those who were Gentile and coming together under Christ and what those communities look like and how they function. So Paul, he is addressing some of these criticisms and his first claim is this. Under Jesus, I am free. I'm free. I'm not constrained to some of these models of the law that have been, we've been looking at for a long time. But then he goes on to say, and he writes more about this in other you know, letters, so we're not going to get into that. But, but he says, this is what I do with my freedom. I choose to be a servant of all. Actually, the language is a slave. I choose with my freedom to make myself a slave. Following in the footsteps of Jesus. 
he understands that sharing the gospel means sacrifice and adaptation. So he's going to, if he's with someone who is, their conscience is conflicted by the Jewish law, he will live under the Jewish law with them. If he's with those who don't understand that and they're Gentile and they're eating food that Jews aren't supposed to eat, he will be a Gentile with them. He does all of those things in order to share the gospel. He says, I have the right to be paid. And he talks about this, but he says, I choose not to. Because I don't want that to be a stumbling block. These verses could be a little bit confusing out of context because we're not reading all of 1 Corinthians. I think it, maybe we wouldn't say it out loud, but there's a sense in reading that. Paul, are, are you being a little bit of a coward here? Sort of wishy-washy, not standing on any foundation. You know, just sort of being like whoever you're with so you don't offend anybody, right? That could be one way of interpreting what Paul is saying. But he's not saying that. He's saying that basically he is subject only to Jesus. He's the only one that he has to worry about, the only one he has to impress. Therefore, he understands that he's free to make these kinds of sacrifices in certain situations against what he would prefer in order to share the gospel. So it's not being wishy-washy, it's being purposeful. Paul knows what he's about, he knows what God has sent him to do, and he's willing to make personal sacrifices and to adapt himself to other people's cultures and habits in order to share the gospel. Now, of course, yes, there are limits to that. Paul writes pretty strongly about that in the rest of his letters, so it's not that he's just going to do anything. It's interesting that one of the, the biggest um, concerns people have, especially if they're not part of this church, because um, people don't always share their concerns with me if you're part of this church, which is okay. But when we talk about missional communities, one of the biggest pushbacks I get is how in the world do people have time to do what you're talking about? How do they have the time? Part of the problem with that is that people are thinking under these traditional programmatic models of the church. Because if you have a very traditional programmatic model of the church, then we have so many things scheduled already. We might want you to come to a Wednesday night Bible study, or maybe a, a home group Bible study. And we would like to have you serve on, the, on different committees and councils. And we will have you know, people serving in men's ministry and women's ministry, and doing youth ministry, and doing children's ministry. And you end up with so many things happening during the week that all of your time is spent with other church people. And so then people think, well, if you're asking people to do these missional communities and be serious about reaching and connecting with their neighbors and the other people out in the community, how do they have time for that? So my first reaction when people ask me that is I, I say, I'm glad you understand what we're asking, what we're talking about. It's a huge sacrifice. This is no small thing to say, I'm going to be part of a missional community of people who are looking at how we're going to reorient our lives in order to share the gospel with somebody else. It's a big deal. It's going to take time. It's going to take money. It's going to take sacrifice. That's right. But then the second thing I say is, I think you're missing the point because it's not about plugging in more mission work into your already busy schedule. It's about reorienting your understanding of God's mission for you so the things you're already doing and the relationships you already have begin to become intentional 
in how you share the gospel. So here's the rhythms I want to talk about. And I'm hoping this will give you a better idea of what we're after when we talk about being a missional church or being focused on mission. Because of the three, um, the gospel, Jesus, family, community, and mission, this, I would say, is the, the leg of the tripod that has been broken in the North American church most often. Because what it has looked like has been, we will commission missionaries and we will sacrifice our money to pay our missionaries to go out somewhere and do mission. And we need people who do that. We need to do that. But then the other problem is we don't see ourselves as missionaries, and so we excuse ourselves. And so we have this sort of bipolar nature to ourselves, where when we're with church people doing church things, we're very oriented around prayer and the gospel, but when we're doing all the other things of our life, it's farthest from us, and we're not thinking about it. So here are rhythms that we all have in our lives, that we're looking at reorienting these rhythms of our life and turning them back into being more intentional in how we talk and act and share the gospel. The first one is a story-formed rhythm. Think about this. How many times do you tell or hear a story throughout your week? And you may think, well, I don't. Oh, but you do. Because you were doing it as you came in this morning. You were sharing with people what your trip down here was like. What it was, you know, Joan was talking about power going out in her house, right? We were talking about dog training and walking your dog. I mean, we all tell stories. We are a story-formed people. We just don't always recognize it and know it. So here's one piece of intentionality. is thinking about how our story incorporates into God's story and then being more intentional about how we share that. So you don't have to say, you know, someone's sharing about, you know, Joan's telling me about her dog, and, and I go, oh, Joan, that reminds me about Jesus. And you're like, what? What? You know, that's not how this works, okay? But it's saying in all of our cultural stories, we have these same patterns that we see in the gospel. Patterns of sin and brokenness and rebellion. Patterns of restoration and reconciliation and written relationships, Right? Um, So what we're doing is we're looking at those things and we're looking at how we tell our story in that context, right? I mean, so just to give you an example, if I wanted to do this when I was talking to Joan and we're talking about dogs, one of the ways I could do this is we're talking about dog training and I could tell her a story about how when I was a young man, I was not good with my dogs, right? There's this brokenness. I mean, I didn't know. And so I was sometimes angry and mean with my dogs. And how, as I got older, I understood that there was a more patient, more caring, more understanding way, right? So there's nothing, I'm not saying anything about God and Jesus, but I am telling a story that is part of my story. And I may or may not have the opportunity to say, God changed me on this, right? God did this in my life. I really believe that. That's not, I'm just making that up, right? So there's opportunities To take this rhythm of telling stories and using it for the gospel. The second one, which is harder for some of us than others, is listen. The rhythm of listening. To listen. Yes, taking time to listen to God. We have turned prayer so often into this exercise where we feel like if we do it the right way and say it enough ways that God will hear us and answer us. That is not the model of prayer that has been given to us in the Bible. In fact, a lot of prayer is actually listening. So creating space and time to listen to God. 
One of the ways that this has been done in, uh, in tradition has been through something called the consciousness examine. The Jesuits use this. There's a very formal way to do it, but a very simple way to do it is just at the end of your day sometime, maybe when you're laying on your bed before you fall asleep, to think back on your day and say, Holy Spirit, I want to invite you to go through my day with me. And then just listen. You'd be surprised. I think sometimes you find things happen, you remember conversations, and you'll, you'll sense the Holy Spirit saying, that was really good. Good job. There's other times you'll feel convicted. And in those moments, then, then it's your turn to speak. God, how do I do that different? Remind me next time to live differently. Okay, listening. The other part of listening, of course, is with other people around us. And asking ourselves, are we listening to what they are really saying? When I did hospital chaplaincy, one of the exercises we had to do was to go into a hospital room and visit someone we didn't know and have a whole conversation with them. Sometimes it would last half hour, 45 minutes. And then come out and then write down everything that they said and that you said. Word for word, as best as you could. You know what it did? It's an exercise they require most chaplains to do. Is it forces you to really pay attention. So you're not thinking ahead, what am I going to say next? How am I going to respond? But you're listening intently and closely. So listening, the rhythm of listening, the rhythm of celebrating we miss this one. And the church, we should be really good about this. Birthdays, holidays, getting good grades. I don't know. I mean, pick something and celebrate it. God created everything, and when He's done, He said, It is good. And so often, all people hear from the churches, It is bad. But there's still good out there. So, celebrating the things that God is giving us. When we come together and we worship, we are always celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. That's why we do it on Sundays. If we believe the gospel, we should be people of celebration. And we should join in to the celebration. Do you remember the very first sign or miracle, as John describes it in John's gospel? Do you know what it was? Jesus at a wedding party making wine. That was the very first sign pointing people that this is the Son of God. And we could go into that story and ask why, but one of the reasons is because this is a beautiful image of blessing and celebration in a marriage ceremony, and Jesus is in the middle of it. The next rhythm is that of, one of my favorite, eating. Eating. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why did God create us so that we had to eat so often. I mean, he, look at all the animals he created, right? You go to the, you go to the um, zoo, and there'll be a snake in the cage. And a, sorry, Christina, she hates snakes. But there'll be a snake in a cage, and it'll have a little lump in it. And you can tell it had a meal. And there'll be a sign on there, and it'll say, last meal, like five days ago. Next meal will be like 30 days from now, or something crazy like that, right? I mean, there are animals that God created that can go a long time without food, can go a long time without water. God did not create us that way. Here's a fun exercise. Sometime read through one of the Gospels and notice how many of the stories in the Gospels happen around a meal and around food. It's very interesting. The rhythm of eating. Every time we gather for a meal, it's an opportunity to share with somebody else. 
to be with other people. It's a daily reminder, I would say, of our need for God. So every time we eat, it's a spiritual reminder that we need something beyond ourselves. We're not completely self-reliant as much as we'd like to think we are. The last rhythm, another one of my favorites, is the rhythm of recreating or recreating. Right? You notice how that word is the same? Recreate, recreate. God created and worked for six days, and on the seventh day he rested. The first rhythm we find in Scripture. Six and then one. Work and then rest. Would it be interesting if we thought about our recreation and we made that also more intentional in how we live out the gospel? How would you do that? What would that look like? Well, I'll tell you one of the I mean, just simple ways. I mean, there's a Seahawks game on tonight, and I love the Seahawks. And whenever we have uh, an evening, Sunday evening Seahawks game, our missional communities try to invite people to come join us to watch football. It's a great way to just get to know other people and to have fun and be intentional in the relationships that we're building for gospel purposes. Or think about playing golf and who you might invite to go with you. Or when we, uh, in the summertime, we take beach days and we go down and we'll play in the water. And it's just a great and easy opportunity to invite other people to do something that is very fun, very life-giving. And by doing it, we're blessing them and they're blessing us. And we're also building relationships. And to think, who can I invite to do that with me? Maybe it's playing cards. Maybe it's going for a hike. I mean, there's so many possibilities. I know for me, when I go hiking, I use it as an opportunity to pray. I never go for a hike, whether it's by myself or with other people, without praying. Because it just feels like a good space to do that. So these are some of the rhythms that we um, want to be thinking about and looking at as a church. And some of the aspects of culture that we want to be thinking about. The whole idea is if we're serious about mission, we're living our life with gospel intentionality. That we begin to think more about how we can bring Jesus into these different parts of our life. It's not hard to do. It's not adding more events and programs to your schedule. It's taking those relationships and the things you do, turning them around. When you go to the grocery store this week, I dare you to just pray. Invite the Holy Spirit to be with you before you go in there. You'll be surprised. This is one of the reasons, by the way, that we picked the name Thailand's Church. I love that we live in a place where we can see this rhythm, one of the rhythms God put into creation, right? Every day, the tide goes out, and it comes in, and it goes out, and it comes in. Thinking about those things that we have every week in our life, again, the regular things we know are going to happen, and beginning to ask God how we can integrate those into His mission. Let's pray. Father, it's so easy for us to put on a cool tagline like missional when we talk about our church. But Lord, we want to be about more than just that. We want to be about doing it and living it and holding each other accountable for doing it and living it. Holy Spirit, we invite you now to work in our life this day and this week. How will you use us, Lord? We invite you to 
just remind us to awaken our spirit when they're when we're in a conversation or we're around somebody that you want us to love. Even now, Lord, as we anticipate moving on through this day and having lunch, having time to rest, having time to talk with each other after the service, God, we give these all to you. Lord, use them as you will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.